Amen. There we go. Go ahead and grab your seats, and we're going to begin a new message series called Worship And. Would you say Worship And? And our goal is to take the, uh, the, the amazing tool or weapon, if you will, of worship and compare it to something that is contradictory to that each week. We'll use this all the way through uh, the end of the year, which is just like today, and then we'll uh, take it all the way through January. And then what we're going to do is um, use this as kind of a, a theme for fasting. As many of you know, uh, we typically do a three-week fast in the beginning of January. You are invited to join us if you would like to. Uh, and as our corporate fast, we'll begin on January 3rd, and we'll do a three-week. Typically, I do a Daniel fast of some sort along with some water fasting mixed in there. And we invite you to do that if that's something you desire. And the thing we like about that is it usually sets the tone and the vision for the year for us. Now, this morning in particular, we're going to talk about worship and weakness. Worship and weakness. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 18, it says, All Judah fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. I like that because Jehoshaphat successfully united all of Judah to get involved with him to fall down and worship the Lord. Now, um, worship has a special place in Pastor Holly and my life, and um, I like her testimony. I'm going to attempt to tell portions of it again this morning. She probably would do a better job of it, but um, her testimony is this, is that uh, before she had really made Jesus Lord of her life, she had gone to church as a, as a 15, 16-year-old with her boyfriend, and, um, and had, Jesus had become her Savior, uh, and she had an experience, but she had fallen away, and her dad had gotten radically saved in that time. And the first thing that she noticed that changed about her dad after his radical salvation was that he went to church and he worshiped in a weird way. Let me define weird. He no longer cared who was around him. He no longer cared who was listening. He no longer cared who was watching. He raised his hands and sang loudly and with total abandon, closing his eyes as if he and God were having a moment. And she said, that was weird. And so having noticed that weirdness, you know, our natural human weakness, you know, drives us to pull away from that until you have a need. And she developed a need in her life from her own natural human weakness. And she needed a miracle because those around her were looking on saying, you know, it doesn't seem like anybody's got what it's going to take to fix you except for maybe you ought to go see your dad. Maybe he's got some power the rest of us don't have anymore. And so maybe, maybe for him, I, you know, we can look past the fact that he worships weird with total abandon, closing his eyes, holding his hands up, singing loud, because maybe he's got the, some power that we don't have. And so they all sent her to her dad. And she, she went to her dad and shared her weakness with him. And he simply prayed for her. And she was healed of that human weakness. And you know what happened to my wife after that? Now that she had an encounter, 
The thing that by the time that I met her, I noticed about her, she didn't seem to care about who was around her, who was looking. She didn't seem to care about who was listening. She worshiped. She started closing her eyes and worshiping with her hands up. And she worships loud and it doesn't matter who's around, what's going on. She just worships like this. Isn't that something? That's encounter-inspired worship. And one of the things that I've learned about worship is this. An encounter will set you free. And if you are enslaved or in bondage, you need an encounter with Jesus. An encounter will set you free, but worship will keep you free. I'll go so far as to say that if you've had an encounter with Jesus or an encounter with His Holy Spirit, an encounter with the Word of God, and it set you free, but you didn't follow it up with worship, you're probably back in bondage again. Because worship keeps us free from what God set us free of. So I want to talk this morning about how worship empowers us to overcome our weaknesses. And I'm going to use the story of Jehoshaphat. One of my favorite stories of all times is Colossians chapter 20. Um, and I go back and I review this. I bet I review this story probably two or three times per year um, in dealing with my own weaknesses, in dealing with how Jehoshaphat led the children of Israel to overcome their adversaries through worship. So Worship empowers us to overcome our weakness, and the first one is human fear. Now, the reason it's good to begin with human fear is this, that we come out of the womb full of fear. So you don't need to learn fear. You're born with fear. I enjoy this season as the young mamas are, are, are you know, going through the time of pregnancy and birth, and, you know, customs change, but... One of the things that hasn't changed, and it will never change, is that babies are, you know, they, they spend the first eight to nine months of their lives all cooped up in that secure, dark place called the womb. Life's good in there. They never get hungry in the womb. I mean, it's warm. It never gets cold in there. It's secure. There's no light coming in. It's just life's good. And then the time comes when mama's body declares war on the womb and the baby. And that baby's coming out no matter what. And when that baby comes out, that baby is baptized into usually bright lights, cold air, and this whole new world of air. And you know, the first thing they do is they got to get out these sucking machines and stick it up their nose. You know, how do you like, you know, you guys have had COVID tests. You don't like that thing going up your nose. Those babies, the first thing they do is stick a big old, stick a big old thing up there. Don't suck that stuff out. You know what I'm saying? And that goes down there. I mean, it is PTSD right out of the gate. And human fear is their first best friend. Now, I've noticed a trend change, you know, kind of our generation, the way we kind of handle that human fear is we hold them close, you know, and then we, uh, and then, you know, you give them lots of TLC and, and hold them tight and all that. It's all good. 
And then you kind of let them sleep on their stomach, and you know what I'm saying, that kind of reminds them of the womb a little bit. Somewhere along the lines, you know, uh, putting them on their stomach became outlawed. I'm not sure what the deal is with that. But it, it, and, and so what they replaced it with was these, have you seen these outfits that they put these newborns in where they wrap their arms around them, and it's like they put them in a straitjacket. <laughs> and then they have them sleep that way, and apparently the babies like it. Because it reminds them of the womb. Not our generation. We just said, you know, they need to learn to overcome. We're not going to wrap them in no straitjacket. So we come out of the womb naturally fearful. And then we learn unhealthy fears along the way. We learn fears of spiders and snakes and rats and bugs and wasps, you know what I'm saying? And then we learn fears of falling and bruising ourselves and, and whatnot. So we learn these natural fears. And then when we become adults, we learn relational fears, right? You know what I'm saying? You get burned in a few relationships and you learn fear in, of getting too close to people. We, we just get all these kinds of fears. Well, fear is a natural human response, and it's a human weakness. And worship is a tool that God has given us to overcome that natural human weakness. Now, I want to read in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 2, pick up the story of Jehoshaphat. And his bad news started that produced fear in his heart when some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude defined as three separate armies. Think of it as you're one nation and three other nations have aligned themselves against you and they are invading. Three armies, so this great multitude, is coming against you. Now, that's enough to be fearful of. Just imagine, you know, three of our national enemies have landed on the shores of California and New York, and they are invading inward, and Missouri is in the pathway because, you know, you got to conquer the farmland. I mean, so, so they're on their way. They're invading in. And so that was Jehoshaphat. And so he experienced this natural fear of invading armies. But as with most fear that comes from human weakness. Have you noticed that fear tends to build on a foundation of fear? Has anyone else noticed that? That when you've got a foundation of fear, it's like building you know, on the foundation. Now you build two befores of fear. And then you put sheetrock of fear up. And then you put a roof of fear on it. Pretty soon you've got a house of fear. Well, Jehoshaphat, he had a foundation of fear in his life, which is strange because he was a godly king. This guy loved the Lord. And this guy was known as a revivalist and a reformer in his day. But out of his, his deep set of desires to restore fallen away relationships, he went too far in some areas of his life. And so then what happened was, is he tried to align himself with the ungodly king Ahab, who was unrepentant. And let me speak some wisdom right here, because some of us may be doing this. You may be acting like Jehoshaphat, 
and your heart is so big and you want things so bad, you want the salvation of that family member or that friend so bad, you want the restoration of that family member or friend so bad that you've compromised some of your own values to try to get them saved or restored. And this is a disaster every single time. And Jehoshaphat did that. He compromised some of his own values. And he actually went to war with King Ahab and nearly got himself killed. I'm here to tell you, if you follow the story, uh, it was like the, the, uh, Ahab went to war and Jehoshaphat went with him. And Jehoshaphat let himself, he let Ahab talk him into dressing up like Ahab. Duh. And so... You know, they came after Jehoshaphat, and as the Lord would have it, uh, a stray arrow ends up killing Ahab because he was under judgment. So Jehoshaphat escaped that judgment, but on his way home, a prophet of the Lord met him and said, Jehoshaphat, you've gone too far. He said, I, I see your heart. But you're crossing the line when you are aligning yourself with the enemies of God. Ahab is an enemy of God. He's a prophet killer. And he loves the prophets of Baals, kills the prophets of the Lord. You've gone too far and you've crossed the line. And then the prophetic word of the Lord to you, Jehoshaphat, is the wrath of God has gone out against you. So he's got that prophetic word as a foundation in his soul. How'd you like to be that guy? So what he did, he, as many of us have tried to do, he tried to overcome it with good works. By the way, I want to say right now, at Abundant Life, we do enjoy practicing the gift of prophecy, but we limit them to encouraging, comfort, and edifying words. And if you've got a word of judgment, it's got to go through me first. <laughs> and nobody does. Everybody practices the encouraging, comforting, and edifying words. So he had this word of judgment given over him. And I'm here to tell you when a genuine, someone you respect, gives you a word of judgment, it is like a thorn in your side. It sticks and you feel it. And you wonder if it's true. And it gets into your subconscious and you wonder if it's true. And you wonder... When is the other shoe going to drop? When this wrath is going to hit? And Jehoshaphat did. So what he did, he became a revivalist, which is great. He tried to overcome that word with good works, which is awesome. So, and actually people that are trying to overcome negative things about themselves often become great revivalists and great reformers. And so he led all of Judah into massive reforms and said, we're going to be a Jesus-only country. I mean, nobody's going to serve anybody else except Jesus. It's going to be the Lord only. And he, and he, he led that reform, that revival, and it was awesome but he still had this subconscious fear that the wrath of the Lord has gone out against me. So with that subconscious fear, imagine what Jehoshaphat is thinking when he's told three armies are coming against you. The wrath of the Lord has gone out against you. He's thinking, oh no, it's finally time. Three armies are coming. The wrath of the Lord has gone out against me, and I'm about to go down. There's the backdrop. 
Okay? Now let's get into what was his solution. Let's pick it up in verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. First thing we learn is that fasting super empowers worship. Why does fasting super empower worship? That's because to genuinely worship the Lord causes me to humble my flesh. In other words, dignity is my best friend and worship has nothing to do with dignity. Dignity is like a front and rear guard and worship makes you take your front and rear guard off and get rid of all dignity. So fasting is going to break down my will. It's going to break down my emotions. This is why I fast. I fast to break down my mind. I fast, by the way, I'm not truly fasting unless I have succeeded in dulling my mind. That means that what happens is after January 3rd, you're going to come up to me and say, Pastor, remember when I told you? And, and what you're going to get in response is, huh? What, what are you saying? So I'm intentionally breaking down my mind because my mind naturally resists the Lord. Fasting is meant to break down my emotions because my emotions naturally resist the Lord. And it's certainly meant to break down my will, which naturally resists the Lord. And as it breaks those things down, I become a more natural worshiper. And so Jehoshaphat, what he did was he said, let's proclaim a fast. Now his motive was very simple. We need to break this prophetic word that was given to us that wrath has gone out against us. So he's going to fast to break that prophetic word. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. They fasted with him. The cool thing about most fasting, the most biblical examples of fasting, by the way, is that most of the time they do not give you details. They don't tell you whether they were doing a Daniel fast, a water fast, a coffee fast, a sugar fast. I mean, you don't, you don't know. And so you, it just says that they fast. Now, there's a few examples. The, the most dramatic examples um, are when Jonah went to Nineveh and said, you're all going to die. And the ruler of Nineveh was smart enough that he said, well, we're going to reverse that prophecy. And so he proclaimed a fast, and as the king, he actually had the authority to do it. He said, in Nineveh, this judged, cursed city, this city of Satan, nobody is allowed to eat, including the animals. The horses can't eat, the donkeys can't eat, your dog can't eat. I'm talking about the cows don't get to eat, nobody eats. The stray rats don't even get to eat in Nineveh. And he proclaimed that until the prophetic word reversed. And poor old prophet Jonah, he was none too happy about reversing the prophetic word to say Nineveh has been spared. So Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. So I was reminded as I was preparing this message of a time when um, I was threatened and a prophetic word went out against me. And it was a time when my ministry was threatened the public ministry was threatened. Our church was being threatened. And it was, quite frankly, beyond my power to fix. Now, how many of you like it whenever you have circumstances that you've got the power to fix? You just go fix it, right? 
But when you hit one of those that you don't have the power to fix it, you might do what I did. I fasted. And I just began to refuse. Honestly, I remember in that instance that the spirit of fear was so strong that it was like another person in the room. And so I thought, well, it's time to fast. And so I fasted. And within just a short amount of time, praise the Lord, it didn't take a long fast. Amen. How many of you say amen? You know, can I just tell you, fasting to break an opposing power usually goes pretty quick. This one, it broke pretty fast. The fear was the first thing to break, then the circumstances changed. Fasting to break your will takes longer. Fasting to take, break your mind takes longer. Fasting to break your emotions takes longer. I'm sorry. There's no shortcut to that one. Fasting to break the devil, usually just like that. So, you know, that's why we do the longer fast, because my will and my mind and my emotions, it seems like that they just get built up in them, and it takes a little while to chip all that away. I want to encourage you uh, with what Jehoshaphat did. He proclaimed a fast, and then in that fast, the fast was going to facilitate their worship. Remember what I said, an encounter frees you up from human weakness. Worship will keep you freed up. And I want to speak right now to those watching via live stream. If you're joining us on live stream, my personal experience with this taught me that worship is the hardest thing to maintain on the live stream. Um, and I'll just be honest with you, when I was on the live stream, when I had COVID, uh, I was not inspired to get out of my chair and worship. But what we learn is, if you want to maintain the level of freedom you have received, you must get out of your chair and worship. And I want to encourage you because private worship has some positive effect, but corporate worship has a magnified anointing. And on the live stream, what you're suffering from is corporate worship. And so what I want to encourage you to do is ask the Holy Spirit how you can get your dose of corporate worship. What does that look like for you? What disciplines does that require of you? You know, uh, and so I just want to encourage you, you know, but I want to encourage you, whatever it takes, you're going to have to get involved in corporate worship to magnify the anointing, to be able to sustain the freedom you've already received. So worship empowers us to overcome our weakness. So fear, which is natural. Now let's go to failure. Now failure is a learned thing. Pastor Jared has, uh, he, he has told me, that he believes that amongst the young generation, one of the greatest um, fears that they have is a fear of a non-event with Jesus. Meaning, you put the effort forward and the event doesn't happen. The fear of a non-event with the Holy Spirit. The fear of a non-event with the person of Jesus. Whatever that looks like, what you're going for doesn't... A non-event where, you know, nothing changed. Well, the Bible gives us tools for how to overcome that fear of failure. By the way, I at one time was captured by the fear 
of a non-event. Pick up the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6. Jehoshaphat said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and in your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Now, Jehoshaphat did some things that were so smart and so right, we want to imitate him. Remember, what he's dealing with is a prophecy that wrath has gone out against him. So he's really scared. A non-event for him meant really bad things. Judah would be conquered. He would go away as a slave and so, or, or killed, depending on the conquering force. And so, or at the very minimum, they'd lose all their wealth and their goods. And so, um, so he's, he's using this as a tool. And I want to use how he overcame the human weakness of failure. And we can say we can do the same thing. All right? Let's look at this verse. And I see, I see a couple things in here that, are, uh, that we can imitate. First thing I see is that he quoted the Word of God. Would you say he quoted the Word of God? He said, nothing can stand against you. He's quoting Jeremiah. Nothing can stand against the Lord. Come on. Nothing can stand against the Lord. That's why he's just quoting Jeremiah. Has the arm of the Lord been shortened? Nothing can stand against the Lord. Nothing can. I put this to the test. I, I, I like to put the word of the Lord to the test. I don't like to put God to the test. I like to put his word to the test. So, man, I've been averaging three COVID miracles per week. Come on. Now, you can too. This isn't just pastor stuff only. I've been averaging three COVID miracles per week. I'm talking about genuine COVID miracles. I mean, they're wild. And I wasn't, I thought, well, it's Christmas week. I, you know, how am I going to get three in this world? I'm before Christmas rolled around. I had three. People getting out of the hospital. You know, I mean, all the way from that to, to people directly exposed. Everybody else around them got it. But they needed to not be exposed for a certain set of circumstances. All right. Pray over them. They don't get it. They don't, they don't get it. Everybody else gets it. They don't get it. To those kinds of miracles, to being released from the hospital, miracles, to, I, I'm, we're just, Three week. You know that the scripture has said that Jesus said your primary assignment is to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. But you know, to cleanse the leprosy of COVID, you got to engage with it, right? Yeah. Pastor John said, yeah. The medical doctor said, yeah. Everybody else is so sure. I mean, you got you to engage with it if you're going to cleanse the thing. Cleanse the lepers and raise the dead. I'm sorry, I'm still working on that one, but we'll tell you whenever that happens. So, so he quoted and said, nothing can withstand you. By the way, worship songs that say things like, nothing is too difficult for thee. Those are good worship songs. It's an older one. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Great and mighty God. Great in counsel and mighty indeed. Nothing, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Okay, that tune has gone out, but you know, the words are still good, right? And so... He worshiped with nothing is too difficult for you. It doesn't matter if you're private worship or corporate worship. Tell the Lord, nothing's too difficult for you. 
Then I look at how else they did it. He appealed to God's power. This is really good in the Psalms. In appealing to God's power, he said, he said, listen, nothing can withstand you. He said, listen, you rule over all the kingdoms of your nations. In your hand are power and might. Now, I like to envision God's hand that has all the power and the strength and the might to do anything. And then he holds my hand. Now, I've seen it both ways where I pray by intercession and God's powerful hand just comes in and fixes things. Then I've also seen it when I pray by intercession and then he takes that powerful hand and just holds my hand and says, you fix it. I'm okay with either way because, you know what, if he just wants to fix things without me, that's cool. But if he just wants to hold my hand and have me fix it, I'm all over that too. That's fun. But worship is going to get you there either way. So we want to worship. And the Psalms are so good for this because the Psalms are going to sing about the powerful hand of the Lord and all that it's done. And then I also look at the example that Jehoshaphat gave us. He appealed to God's faithfulness. When we look at this verse, you notice how he addressed God. He said, O Lord God of our fathers. So he was quoting the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Joseph, right? The God of Isaac. Now, these are all, I mean, God did some really cool stuff for these guys. These days we can quote the God of Jesus, the God of Paul, the God of Peter, right? So if you want God to do some really cool stuff for you, what you do is you look over all that God did for those guys and say, Lord, if you did it for them, they're not more special than me. Jesus is, but I mean, other than him, I mean, but I'm his younger brother. So how about let's do some of that for me? And he'll start doing some of that for you as well. So let me ask you a question. Who are you quoting are you quoting the latest Facebook news? Lord, help us all if you are. Are you quoting 60 Minutes? God, help me as a pastor if you are. I need deliverance from that. I had someone quote 60 Minutes to me again the other day. I said, not me. That 60 Minutes reports going around. Well, you know, if you've had COVID, man, there's lifelong effects of it. I'm like, you know, when I got healed of chikungunya, God didn't just heal me. He replaced body parts in me. So I'm looking forward to some new body parts. Some of those are a little bit worn out at 53. I need some 20-year-old body parts. And they're coming. I got them on order. See, don't quote me no 60 minutes. And don't quote me Pfizer either. Man, I could go into things you shouldn't quote me. Who are you quoting? I'm going to quote the God of my fathers. I'm going to quote the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I'm going to quote the God of Jesus, the God of Paul, the God of Peter. I'm going to quote the God of David. I mean, I'm just going to quote God of all these guys. And I'll experience what Jehoshaphat experienced. And worship really helps you. One of the things that Pastor Jared and I learned is that if you can sing about these things, 
you're quoting them whether you want to or not. So that's why we try to put this stuff in songs, right? So let me tell you a, a story as I was thinking about this. Uh, who are you quoting and, and uh, how Jehoshaphat did it? Some years ago, we, um, we went on a mission trip where we just had a miracle healing breakout. It was, everybody got healed. I mean, it, was, it became easy to see instantaneous miracle healings. But we hadn't established a ministry of miracle healing here yet. So we came home and we said, oh man, everybody's going to get healed. I mean, I honestly thought, I'm not even going to need to lay hands. I'm just going to look at you and you're going to get healed. And of course, what happened is I looked at people and they didn't get healed. And then I went through all the techniques and they still didn't get healed. We even had a healing service and nobody got healed. So it sent me to fasting. And so I said, Lord, now here's another tip. I, I don't fast to force God to do anything. I've learned that fasting is not a good tool to twist God's arm behind his back and make it go higher. Fasting, that, that just doesn't work so well. So what I've learned to do is I'm going to fast to break me down, as I said before, to more clearly hear what God is saying. So I, sent, I went to fasting because nobody got healed. And um, after several days, finally, I was able to hear the voice of the Lord because I'm coming off of a failure and there's nothing that will just make a, a miracle healing ministry harder than a non-event, a failure. Why? Fear sets in. Shame sets in. Sense of failure sets in. So we have a tremendous success and then a failure. Fortunately, the success was greater than the failure. And so I fasted. And all the Lord spoke to me during that fast was these words. Are you willing to try again? Do you know that our entire healing ministry is built on, are you willing to try again? <laughs> and we've seen hundreds, if not thousands, of healed with that methodology. Are you willing to try again? And I just want to encourage you, if you're in this room or if you're on the live stream, are you willing to try again? Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe you've experienced failure. Are you willing to try again? If you are, the anointing might be right around the corner for you. Worship empowers us to overcome our weaknesses of fear, failure, and then frailty. Frailty means that we are breakable, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and relationally. How many of you have discovered that you're breakable? How many of you discovered that your body is breakable? How many of you discovered that your emotions are breakable? How many of you discovered that your relationships are breakable? Even your spirit is breakable. Okay, that's human frailty. Worship is going to empower us to overcome these things. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, Our God, will you not execute judgment on them? I want to encourage you when you're fasting, don't ask God to execute judgment on the Democrats. <laughs> and for those of you on live stream, don't ask God to execute judgment on the Republicans. The them, 
<laughs> the, the them is principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness and demons that are destroying people. They are the, they are the strongholds that hold people in bondage. That's the them. Oh God, will you not execute judgment on all those demonic forces? Will you not execute judgment on all of those principalities and powers of rulers of darkness? Will you not execute judgment on fear? Will you not execute judgment on this disease? Will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And this is what I really want you to memorize. I memorize this. It's really easy to remember. It's this, this little phrase. Because this sets me up for worship every time I come together and get ready to worship, both whenever I'm by myself and whenever we're together. It is this. It is, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's a little rhyme. It's easy. You want to try it together? Say, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, we're going to practice that in just a minute. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, you can just apply this to anything. Apply it to your marriage that, that is just cold and you want it warm. Lord, I don't, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, right? Apply it to your job. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Apply it to your health. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And if you'll do that, it will cause you to participate better in worship. I've asked Pastor Jared to close the service with worship. And I want you to think about that phrase. And I want to invite, if you're on the live stream, I want to encourage you, use this as an opportunity right now to join us in corporate worship. So if you just stand, and I'm going to hand the service off to Pastor Jared, and let's worship with this spirit of, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you.